everybody here. I know uh, Bible class in here is a little bit different today because of uh, all the things that are going on down the hallway. So excited that you are here to be a part of uh, any of our Bible classes. I know you were looking forward to each of the individual ones that just started last week. So for the teachers that start off one session and then have to end for one and then come back, I know that causes a, a little bit of a backup there. Uh, but I'm excited that we get to have this opportunity this morning to be in here. So uh, I appreciate the extra ones that have come through uh, to be here as we study together. Before we begin our Bible class, let's begin with a word of prayer. Lord our God, we thank you for the day. We thank you for the opportunity that we have to study your word, that you've given us everything that we need to make the right decisions to follow you. Pray that you'll help us to make the right decisions. We run into a lot of challenges and things that... Uh, come up in our way, but I pray that you will give us guidance and clarity of thought so that we can choose right over wrong. Be with us as we study this morning, as we continue to take your word in all the world. Uh, be with us as we begin our VBS uh, tonight, that we will take this opportunity to bring people here that normally wouldn't be here, but we'll give them opportunity to uh, not just to be in the building, but to be around Christians and to be able to learn uh, stories from your word. Help us to go into our community with your word and to share your gospel with everyone. We thank you for Jesus and pray this to you in his name. Amen. All right, this morning uh, we are picking up from our study of what we began last week, understanding Christian ethics. I know there's a lot that goes into this topic. Uh, if you have studied any kind of ethics at all, um, it's a big topic. You can have multiple classes and on multiple different angles, all concerning how we make decisions, how we choose right or how we choose wrong in certain situations, and how can we be better? How can we show ourselves up? Uh, what kind of words can we use? What kind of uh, information can we fill our minds with so that we can go about this world in the right kind of way? I was talking to uh, my father-in-law. Uh, he is big into ethics right now, not just because of his interest with uh, you know, law and everything like that, but he's been teaching a class at Freed Hardman on business ethics. And he said, you can spend you know, multiple semesters at a time just on business ethics. He said, but if you were to back up and you were to get a, a wider scope of what ethics is in general and understanding morals, he said, that's what we get the opportunity to do. And so he was, he was jealous of having this kind of opportunity to be able to teach this topic together. Uh, when I think about ethics and I think about morals, it's all about how do we make decisions? How can we make sure that we're going to make the right decisions? Now, as we're building up, and we're going to get to some of these major topics towards the end of this quarter, the, the latter half, we have to build some groundwork. We have to understand how we operate and how we think and how the world around us, how they operate and how they think. And that's where our discussion is going to be for the day. Uh, there's a term that's uh, used called worldviews, and it's just describing how our world operates. Specifically, how does our world operate, or how do we see the world right now in 2019 in Montgomery, Alabama, as a 28-year-old, as a 30-year-old, 40, 50, 60, 70, whatever you are blessed with, how do we see the world in our situation? And if you could take our world and how we see it and put it into a box, this is what a worldview is. And so that's what we're going to be looking at this morning, see if we can categorize our thoughts and if we can categorize our world together. But before we do that, uh, I want to pick up from a comment that I made last week concerning wisdom literature. We looked at Psalm chapter 1. Psalm 1 is an introduction to the entire book of Psalms. And it begins by testing what kind of person are you going to be. Blessed is the man. 
It's actually very similar to what Jesus will say at the beginning of his Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the fill in the blank. See, Jesus in God's plan is to test our character, to shore up our character, to help us to be able to make the right decisions. And wisdom literature does a great job of challenging us to go that next step. And that's exactly what we looked at in Psalm chapter 1. You get that beginning, that introduction. Before you can get the rest of the book, before you pass through, you have to go through this gate. And the book of Proverbs is the same way. I love how Proverbs begins. Because you go through and you read the book, you find out it's very difficult to read because you have all these little sayings, all these little quips that are you know, trying to help us to, to think and to operate in a better way. But before you get to each one of those individual Proverbs, you have to enter in through chapter 1. Proverbs chapter 1 is like a father sitting down with his son across the table and saying, let me, let me help you. Let me give you some advice. If you want to understand things, if you want to be more knowledgeable, if you want to gain more wisdom, here's what you're going to have to do. Pay attention to the words of Solomon, starting in Proverbs chapter 1, in verse 2. Listen to what he says. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing and righteousness, justice and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth, let the wise hear and increase in learning. And the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb, a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. He said, before you can go through the rest of this book, before you can make any decisions about justice, before you can make any decisions about what is right and what is wrong, you really need to check yourself and find out where's your instruction coming from. So he gives that bit of an introduction, but then he's going to take you to the threshold of the door and he's going to say, can you walk through it? The fear of God. The fear of the Lord, in verse 7, is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Do you want to make good decisions in life? Do you want to understand what is the right decision? Begin with God. See, our understanding of how God operates concerning this world is going to help us make better decisions, make the right decisions. It has to begin with a proper fear and understanding of the Lord. So he opens up the gate and he says, will you walk through? But then he's going to give us some more information, similar to what we saw in um, Psalm chapter 1. Listen to what he says, starting in verse 8. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. My son, if sinners entice you, don't consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie in wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. Let Sheol let it swallow them alive. Like those who go down to the pit. We shall find all precious goods. We shall fill our houses with plunder. Throw in your lot among us. We will have one purse. My son, don't walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot with their paths, for their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed blood. For in vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird, but let these men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessors. If sinners entice you, don't consent. The father's sitting down with his son. He's like, who are you spending your time with? Who are you getting your instruction from? Is it the fear of the Lord that's guiding you, or is it what other people are saying around you? He said, if you look, they're saying, hey, look, let's lie and wait. Uh, let's go and get this kind of gain. He said, don't do that. Don't follow after the path of sinners. Be a tree that's planted by the water. 
Let that guide you. And he goes into a bigger discussion that I love all the way up until chapter 9 because then he's going to start giving you each individual proverb at a time. But up until chapter 9, he's going to introduce you to two women. He says, my son, what kind of wife would you rather have? Wisdom or Lady Folly? And he describes them so beautifully. He gives this description. He says, wisdom. She, she holds her household in the right way. She operates with other people in the best manner. Uh, she will treat you fairly. She'll raise your kids and he's like describing the perfect wife. It's almost similar to what you'll find at the end of the book of Proverbs in Proverbs chapter 31, the virtuous woman. He said, would you want to marry someone like this? Or do you want Lady Folly? You see, Lady Folly, she'll marry you and she'll go after someone else. She won't spend her time with you. She won't keep up her house. She won't keep up uh, training in the right kind of way. She's going to go pursue her own passions and you'll be left alone and broken. Who would you rather have? Choose wisdom. Let that be your guide. And so I want us to think, as we go further into this discussion of ethics and, and making the right kind of decisions, who will you choose? What will you choose? And what will you allow to guide your life? What will we do together as we try and put everything into its proper place? So I want to give you that as our little bit of an introduction uh, for the day. So let's consider some things. Ethics are important because they give direction to people and societies who have some sense that they cannot flourish without being moral. If you look at the world around us, people want to pursue what is good. They want to live in a society that is going to flourish, that's going to... Um, I mean, nobody wants to live in a world that's just evil. That's just not how we operate as people. That doesn't make sense to us. We want something that is good. If anyone is honest with themselves, they're going to say, I would rather live in a right kind of society, doing the right kind of things. But here's the problem. What is right? That's what our world's trying to figure out. What is right? What is good? What is evil? What is bad? What should I pursue? What should I stay away from? For us, we say, well, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. That's where my instruction comes down from so that I can do what I need to do. But our world, they're going to say, well, I don't have that. That's not what I ascribe to. That's not what I believe in. So that's not going to guide me. That's not going to make my decision. So how can I find what is good? How can I determine what is evil? So if we can try and figure out how they think outside of the Bible, maybe we can take them where they are and lead them a little bit closer to what truth really is in this world. So as we deal with ethics, that's what we're dealing with. Helping people and guiding them to be moral. Now, I want to challenge us this morning. Uh, this is a little bit different. I know we have a lot of different people in here uh, from different classes, different age groups. And so um, I want to try something. This is something I've done with our college ministry and with our youth when I teach at a class. Parents, if you'll permit, if you'll let your kids be able to use their phones to be able to get to this. It's a live survey. I have a few questions that I want to ask us together. So if you have your phone or your tablet, I'm going to give you permission to look down on it uh, for a little while. Um, we might just crash the Wi-Fi, so we'll see. Um, but I've got a live survey that I want to offer you, um, and I, it'll help guide our discussion maybe and, and see where we are. It's anonymous, so you can respond however uh, you feel best fits your description of what these questions are going to be. So you go to a website, it's called menti.com, and then it's going to make you uh, plug in a room code. It'll be 530215. It should pop up and say Dalreda. Christian ethics, say Christian ethics, Dalreda Church of Christ. 
Uh, give everybody a second to get there. Like I said, this is going to be anonymous. Some of the questions that I'm going to ask you this morning are the same questions that I asked my class over at Faulkner. And I'll show you some of their responses. I changed a few of the questions just because of our demographic in here. But I had 48 students there that asked these same questions to and I thought it was insightful if we could maybe compare, not knowing how we'll respond, having a good guess maybe on some of these things. But I want to show you what they said during their time. But if you have that website pulled up, it's going to be, uh, I'll click through and I'll let you work on these different options. So, bear with me. All right. Come on over. All right. So, if you have the opportunity, I want you to um, answer these questions. It is anonymous. It's just on a scale of, do you agree or disagree with the following statements? Like I said, these are going to be the same questions I asked. I had 48 students at Faulkner that I um, compared these to. And it's going to give us the average out of 10 on each one of them. I'll give that a second to pop up. All right, so some of our responses are coming through, and I just want us to think just for a little bit before we go to the next one. What are some observations? What do you see? Read the data. The only standard for morality. Okay? This is going to be an important thought the further we go into this class. The Bible is our only standard for morality. What about the moral law? What about the natural law that's written on our hearts? When Paul will say in Romans chapter 2, he said, you see the Gentiles in the world? When they do what the law says, although they do not have the law, they are a law unto themselves. When we deal with morals, there's going to be one component of it that is, what did God say? What are His commandments? There's another part of it. Did He create us in a certain way to make the right decisions? Not can we get to every single truth, but can we derive to certain truths, maybe even if the Bible was not present in the moment. Now, Paul is going to give us some challenges in Romans chapter 2 that we'll come back to in these next couple of sessions. You'll be, uh, we'll be compounding each one of these thoughts. But is the Bible the only standard for morality, or can people make good decisions with even without the Bible? Can they come to a knowledge of the truth about what is good and what is evil if they haven't cracked open the Bible before? How is it that across cultures, across times, that people have said murder is wrong? Stealing is vile. Adultery? Cannibalism? Why is it that different cultures at different times say that those things are immoral or wrong or evil or bad. Where did they get that from? Had they read the Bible before? Were they influenced at some point by Christianity? What about beforehand, before Christianity was established? Was it just by their uh, close proximity to the Jews? Why are there certain common things between cultures? Now, yes, the Bible is the main standard for morality. That will be enforced, will not be disputed, Although people will challenge that, but what else is in place? So I want us to think about that. I want you to hold that in your mind. What else do you notice? 
Yes, they're going to run parallel. See, what we're going to find out is that what the Bible is saying exactly, it makes sense to our lives. See, people are groping in the darkness. They're trying to find what is right. They're trying to ask this question, how can I choose what is right? The Bible's going to come along and say, let me give you some explanation of why you feel that way. You feel guilty when you do this or this or this. Why is that? The Bible's going to tell you this is why. They run parallel. You can't have one without the other. But what it comes to in our apologetic defense, if we're going to uh, defend Christianity, we're going to lead people over to what is right, we need to get them where they are so that truth will really make sense in their life. Absolutely. Okay. Okay. And uh, and I can do that, and I'll show you how many responses that we had on uh, each one of those scales. So it might give a little bit of help right there. So as you look at the numbers and uh, you go through each one of these, we face moral issues today the Bible does not address. Well, we are facing different kinds is probably how we respond to that. But we would also say, well, there are certain principles in the Scriptures that are going to be able to relate to anything that we may face today. Although the you know, New Testament itself, 2,000 years ago, there's a span that much. You go from the Old Testament, how much more time has passed beyond that. It may not address things specifically, but there are principles there that we can derive to where we are today. Um, so these thinking, all right, you know, when I was asking this, I kind of expecting where this would go. Uh, my class responded very different. I have a pool of 48 people uh, pulled from a lot of different areas of the world. They responded a lot different, and I can show you that in just a second. Um, but I wanted to ask this, but now allow me to go a little bit deeper. Have these things in your mind. And uh, allow me to give you some more questions to consider. Do you agree or disagree with the following statements? And I'll let you respond to these. 
And even if you don't respond on it this way, which is fine, I knew um, it, not everybody would have the opportunity to do this, which is completely fine. So if you want to respond uh, just in our discussion, you're welcome to do that as well. Like I said, it's just a way to be able to, to pull people anonymously uh, and to be able to see the data together. So that's what the purpose of this is. So um, not sure how many people responded on the other one, so we'll just uh, start working what we've got here. All right, what are some observations that you that you find here? Yeah, go ahead. Okay. And, and that's going to be part of where this discussion will be going. I, um, I appreciate you being here today. Um, is that we're trying to nail down how people think. We're going to have to put that into a system. You think of utilitarianism, which is the prominent philosophy of today. Um, that how do people make moral decisions? Well, they're going to say it's based off of utility. What, what best helps where we're going as a society? What will promote um, good for us together? A social contract theory will be uh, part of that, will come from it. Um, so, yeah, you can see some influences of it uh, coming in. What else? Okay, why? And these are showing the averages of a scale of 1 to 10, how people are responding. Strongly agree, strongly disagree. That's showing the average of what people say there. Okay. Um, what else? What do you notice? Okay. So a little bit of confusion there. All right. Appreciate that. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, you've got, we have the governing authorities that are in place that we are supposed to subject ourselves to, Romans chapter 13. But if those violate, if those rules violate what God says, then I may have to break man's rules. Absolutely. What else do you notice? Yeah, that's very good. Absolutely. Um, you found many examples like that, but that's a great one. I was thinking that Wednesday when Matt was speaking. That was one of them that uh, he had talked about. So as we think about this, of some of these topics we're going to get into, not knowing how you'll respond um, and or how you respond on each one of these, but we can look at some of them. So majority are going to say that uh, lying is wrong in every situation, but we do have people that are coming in saying, well, maybe it's not. Um, majority, once again, are saying abortion is wrong in every situation, but what about health complications? What are you going to do in a moment like that? That's what's going to end up presenting 
an ethical dilemma. Um, and we'll get into this a little bit more as we go on. Uh, that one might have had some uh, confusion there. Um, and I'll take that. We'll, we'll deal with it. Um, and then God allows exceptions to his rules. Majority are going to say, well, no, he doesn't. But would there ever be a time where we'd have to break something for the greater good? So I wanted to show that, and I know it's a little bit different, and I appreciate you guys uh, entertaining that for a moment, but I want to show you just for a second, and like I said, I'll alter the questions a little bit for our context here, but I wanted to show you how my class responded, just so you know that we may be in agreement on a lot of things, but our world is not. Uh, when I think about my class that I taught, you're looking at 18 to, what, 23-year-olds on average? Uh, Christian ethics at Faulkner University. Um, I asked them these same set of questions. Uh, and we dialogued on it. Many of them come from, I mean, we've had in class, I've had atheists, uh, I've had uh, Muslims, I've had uh, people, you know, nominally say that they're Christians, but then uh, practices don't align. One of the questions that I just found so intriguing to me was that last one. If the Bible conflicts with my practices, I'm willing to change my mind and actions. And comparing that to how they responded on the first one, the Bible's official standard for morality, many of them saying, although the Bible may say that, I'm not really willing to change what I'm doing. How telling is that of our society? How scary is that when we think about people reading the Scriptures and saying, I know what truth is. I know what the Bible says. I'm just not willing to do it. Mm-hmm. So how can we maintain our differences? Yeah, absolutely. I'd be interested to see, I think the hot button issue in this in, in the church and in the society on the next slide is how it's been capitalized. I'm interested to see how it's been capitalized. Well, let's look at it then. So here's what we got out of 47 uh, that I pulled in class. Does it look a little different? Yeah, a few slightly different questions. Like I said, I changed them around a little bit because part of this was our discussion where we were going in class, so I changed it. Um, and just for our context here, I ruled some out. But like capital punishment is an acceptable practice right in the middle. Um, and that was probably one of our most fruitful discussions because what I challenged them was, can you be consistent with your morals? From what you say from the beginning of life to the end of life, all the way through for every you know reason, where do you land with it? So you kind of see that. Um, but a little bit different than what we noticed in here. And although this, like I said, you know, you're looking at 18 to 23-year-olds, um, different generation uh, that's coming through and how they see things, and coming from all points of the world in this particular class, 
it does give us a little bit of an inside of the world that we're living in and how people think. And we see it in the news. We see it in politics. We see it in discussions and debates and just downright arguments that people are having in the world. And to some extent, we might be shielded from some of it in our day-to-day conversation. You know, if I were to ask another poll of how many of these topics come up at school, at work, at home, some of these things we may not even address. There might be, you know, that doesn't come up. But what do you do when you do have a coworker that's pregnant that's trying to decide what they'll do with the kid? How do you address their rationale of, you know, it, only when the baby is vi- viable or up until heartbeat? What do you say in a moment like that? Are you going to throw the book at them and they're going to, you know, and they'll respond where you're just preaching at me? How do you how do you teach? How do you guide them to a knowledge of the truth based on how they see the world and how they see everything around them? How can we help structure everything and put it into balance? That's the big challenge. That's what our world is trying to figure out. And that's the task that we have in our hands. Can we take the word of God and guide people to make the right decision? Can we make sense to the chaos that's in their world? where they're feeling this pull, they're feeling a guilt, they're feeling a shame, they know what they should do or what they should not do, they just are not willing to change. It goes back, and the prominent one that stuck out to me is, although the Bible may say it, I'm not willing to change. It's frightening, and that's, you know, if we were to ask a little bit more about the world around us, we live in a very religious society, in a very religious uh, city. Many of them are going to believe in Scripture, but then they'll come back and they'll say, well, it depends on the interpretation of it. Well, did God really say that? Well, the Bible is outdated. That was something that God said 2,000 years ago in Corinth, and that doesn't pertain to me. We live in a different society with new rules, new standards. Those things don't even, they're not on the same scale. That gets thrown out. This is the challenge that we're faced with. So I want to pose those things to us just uh, as we begin this discussion a little bit more of understanding our world. Just want to throw those topics at you, um, just so you can see them, just so you can be thinking about them. But let's uh, shift gears a little bit. And uh, I want to talk just for a second, um, maybe to, to put in a different per- perspective as we talk about ethics and morals. Just want to get technical for a moment, uh, just so we can use the right terminology as we describe things. Our world sees, people see our world in with different lenses. Okay, that's the best way to describe what a worldview really is, is this like putting on a pair of glasses. And each person has their own set of goggles, their own set of glasses. They see the world in different ways. Um, philosophy, broadly, is going to ask three different questions. Now, I'm going to give you the technical term, and then we'll think about it uh, in a simple way. The first thing they're going to ask is what we call metaphysics. It's just what is. What is the world around us? What is the universe? We've got scientists that are delving into uh, bits of science that we didn't even know existed. You get into the world of quantum mechanics, something that was not even on the textbooks you, you know, in a very short time ago. And now they're looking at it and they're thinking, wow, the world is a lot more complex than I even thought. They're seeing things that are starting to get them closer to what I believe is a, an understanding of biblical truth. There's a little bit more to the world than what they think. So people are asking, what, what is the world? Why do we live in the world that we have now? How does it look 
Why does it look like it does? But it's going to ask us another question concerning how do we get knowledge? How do we know anything? Well, we'll say, you know, well, we know things because the Bible tells us. What about things that the Bible is silent about? Our world's going to go into a discovery and they're going to think, how can we come to any knowledge of the truth? And that's going to lead to the next question of, what is truth? We talk about an axiological argument for the existence of God. And what's going to happen is, and we're going to spend a lot of time on this uh, in a coming up class, is thinking about, can we make a defense for God just by our feelings about what is right and what is wrong? I believe there's a lot to be said there. Uh, there's a lot to do. So we ask, you know, axiologically, what is value? How can we know anything about the world? But how can we know anything about what is good and what is evil? So it comes into our discussion of when we talk about morals, what makes morals different than ethics? Morals has to deal with content. So I want you to think about if you were to pack a bag and you're going to put all these different items in there, you're going to, you're going to organize your luggage by putting in what is right and what is wrong. You're going to have different compartments and you're going to say in your mind, that action is wrong. Now, you may have a biblical precedent for it or you may say personally, I just, there's something about that that I just don't like. It's just wrong or that's just good. There's something about it. You're going to organize your thoughts. You're going to organize your life according to morals. You're going to pack your bag. You're going to pack your life with what is right and what is wrong. But then that's going to influence how do you make decisions. And this is what ethics has to deal with. How do you take your view of right and wrong and live it out? Let me pose this scenario. You're in a trolley car. You're barreling down the road. You're barreling down the tracks. And in front of you, on the tracks, are five people laid out. You're about to hit them, and you know, for a fact, all five of them will be killed. There's no escape. Your brakes aren't working. You can't stop. There's five people laying on the tracks in front of you. They will die. There is no escape. But as you're barreling down the tracks, you realize that there is an escape. There is one thing that you can do, that there is a, there's another track that's coming up. And you can turn the wheel, and you can go across this sidetrack, but laid across the sidetrack is one individual. One single person, but you know, for a matter of fact, that that one individual will die. Which option would you choose? Will you choose, as you're going down the tracks, to hit the five people or the one person? Let me ask it this way. How many people would choose option one that you would not turn the wheel? How many people would choose option number two and you would turn the wheel and take out the one individual? This is a, this is a class. Doug made a comment that he would jump off. So entertain this. Why did you choose the way that you chose? Why is it the lesser of two evils?
Okay. What else? You're going to say it's an unfair scenario. There's no outs. Do what? Okay. Okay. No. No, this is human life. That's it. No, I'm not going to pull that scenario. No, you're looking at the value of one life over five. Or five over one. Why did you choose the way that you chose? Respond. Yeah, go ahead. Because you feel this bit of a pull, you think, okay, well, if the, the trolley's already going down and there's going to be five people, but if I'm actually, you know, and that's just the circumstance, that's just the way it is, but if I were to turn the car, that's an active decision that I would be choosing the one individual over the five. It makes you feel a little bit more guilty, doesn't it? Okay. Sure, I mean, you could compound it all you want to, but that would make it more personal. But if we're just thinking about it in general terms, what else? What other kind of emotions? What other kind of feelings? What, what makes you want to respond to that in a certain way? Okay, and so and you added a layer there. The motivation of the individuals there. We didn't say that they were tied down to the tracks by you know someone, or we're saying, well, maybe, what if that was their motivation to lay there? Then you make a decision based off their motivation. Because you're putting a number on the value of life. I mean, and, and so you add the layer of the value of each one of those individual lives. 
You got people that are going to nitpick the scenario, right? You got to get the motivation there. They're on the track, regardless of why you think they're there or what they are. That's a decision that has to be made. Hmm? But it's so you. But you get into sorry. Okay, so as the individual that's going to guide the train, trolley's going. It's not on us. But here's where it comes to reality. You're in the medical field. Nurses are presented, doctors are presented with some of the greatest challenges. They're going to have to choose one way or the other. Now, for us, we'll say that's why I'm not in the medical field. I don't want to be given that kind of choice. But what if you are on what we may consider to be just day-to-day options that we're going to start weighing out five to one of if we're going to do something or not. This is the, the thrust and this is the feel and the pull of what an ethical dilemma really is. What will happen when you're presented with an option? What will you choose? Can you maintain, can we maintain our standard of morals regardless of what the situation is? How do we justify our decisions at its most complex moment What happens when we are faced between a rock and a hard place? Will we just lie down? Will we do nothing? This is on an individual scale, but this is on a broader scale. What will we do? How far will we go to pursue truth? And so I I want us to feel this as we continue to go through, and because if, if we don't have a strong stance on our morals, we don't have a strong stance on what is right and what is wrong, the ethics are going to get thrown out. We're not going to know how to respond. We're not going to know if that should be right or not because maybe we've never even thought about that before. As we're talking to people, and let's take our, our main topic uh, that gets brought up about abortion. It's just right there in our, our sites right now. What if you're discussing with somebody they didn't know what the Bible had to say? They didn't really know if that should be the decision or not. They were just making just what they consider to be an arbitrary decision. There's a lot that we have to teach. So as we go a little bit more, let's think, what, how do you really determine what is moral? This is going to take some explanation as we're closing down. Uh, I just want to put these in front of us, and we'll allow this to springboard as we go further in. If you're going to make a moral checklist, and you're going to decide, all right, how do I decide if something is right or wrong? Well, all right, I've got divine command. God said it. But what about other things? How do people justify what they're doing? Maybe people look at just an action in and of itself, and they'll determine, well, that action in and of itself, murder is wrong. No reason, it's just that's what it is. It's the action. How do you determine uh, if it's good or bad? How do you determine if an action is good or bad? How do you determine if someone's motive? Is that really what's going to determine if something is immoral or not? Someone's motive behind it. You know, if you're watching somebody give another individual money, that could be a gift or that could be a bribe. The action itself, there's nothing wrong with giving someone money, but then the motivation behind it would cause the action to be immoral. What about the motivation? What about the consequences of our actions? Where that will go and what that will do? 
And finally, if we're trying to put everything into a, a package, and this goes back to where we started this morning's class in Proverbs. What God is trying to do is to challenge us at our very core that speaks to the physical world and the emotional world and the spiritual world all in one. And it's our character. Our character makes us look at the scenario of the trolley cart in very different ways. We fill a pool in a different way because of our character, because of where we stand and what is right and what is wrong, or what we think is right and what we think is wrong, and we're going to have to make some kind of decision. But at the end of the day, how does our character look? God shores that up over and over again. Jesus will do the same thing. We'll spend time thinking about what did Jesus teach us in regards to, uh, to our morals. We have to check our character. Because you might be able to go through each one of these steps and say, each one of these, I've passed all the tests, this is good, this is good, this is good. But you may get to the very end of it, and you may realize that the character is off. Can the character lying underneath a decision negate the action, the motive, and the consequences all in one? God requires our all. 110%. Everything that we do, everything that we think, everything that we are, has to be good through and through. It was Jesus' motivation and his plan when he was here. And he looks us in the face and he says, you follow me in my footsteps. So this is our challenge. This is what we'll be looking at. And we'll go.